0: Thank you for downloading this podcast from BJOG. Hi, my name is Aris Papajorju. I'm a Deputy Editor-in-Chief, and I want to talk to you today about the time difference between evidence, creation, and implementation. We all care deeply about our patients, and we want to provide evidence-based care. So it's a mystery, really, why it can take so long for new practices and treatments to be adopted, despite systematic evidence demonstrating benefit. Now embedded in our daily practice, the story of administration of antenatal steroids to promote fetal lung maturation is one well-known example of this time lag. The possible benefits were discovered serendipitously by Graham Mont Liggins, then at the University of Auckland in his native New Zealand, and they were reported in 1969. Liggins saw the value of his work, immediately teamed up with Ross Howey a pediatrician, and undertook a seminal double-blind randomized control trial. Liggins and Howey included women with premature labor between 24 and 36 weeks, and also women for whom delivery before 37 weeks was planned. In the trial, they used betamethasone, and compared to placebo, this dramatically reduced the rates of both respiratory distress syndrome and mortality. Their paper was published in 1972 in Pediatrics. It had been rejected by the Lancet for being of too specialised an interest. This really simple treatment now saves the lives of many thousands of premature babies. But the path from this first trial in 1972 to routine implementation was extremely long. Twelve studies to be precise, all of which were included in the 1990 meta-analysis in our own journal. The RCOG produced guidelines two years later and a consensus statement by the NIH in the USA came two years after that. All in all, the guidance on prophylactic steroid use came more than 20 years after the initial findings and over 10 years after Archie Cochrane awarded our speciality the wooden spoon for the worst use of randomized trials in all of medicine. Surely we're doing better now. I wanted to highlight two papers that are of direct relevance to this historical perspective, both by Wolfe and colleagues, and they're on antenatal magnesium sulfate. Studies in the 1990s noticed that preterm newborns of mothers who received magnesium sulfate for preeclampsia, autoglysis, had lower rates of cerebral palsy, much lower in fact, with an odds ratio of 014 and 95% confidence intervals that comfortably favoured treatment. Following further studies and data synthesis, a number of guidelines, including a scientific impact paper from the RCOG in 2011, recommend that this treatment should be given to women at risk of imminent early preterm birth for neuroprotection of the child. Yet, clinical practice remains unchanged in a number of countries and in many hospitals. In the first paper that they present in this issue, Wolfertau give us a randomized trial of antenatal magnesium sulfate. The sample size calculation isn't based on a usual primary outcome. Rather, the trial is cleverly designed to close the gap that exists on the basis of trial sequential analysis of existing trials. In their second paper, they then merge their findings with those of the pre existing trials in a systematic review and meta analysis. Wolf and colleagues demonstrate conclusively that treatment with magnesium in women at imminent risk of preterm delivery decreases the risk of cerebral palsy in the offspring without increasing the risk of perinatal mortality. A number of studies suggest that the average length of time for implementation of evidence-based care is 17 years. And while our speciality has been picked up as one of the worst, it's by no means alone. Of course, we mustn't make decisions on flimsy data. But in my opinion, we need no more evidence of the effectiveness of magnesium sulfate for neuroprotection. Instead, a clarion call to all practitioners... This intervention is now proven beyond doubt, and there should be no further delay in implementation. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this podcast from BJOG. We have been reporting the best research in women's health since 1902. We are keen to hear your views. Tweet us at BJOG Tweets. You can find more podcasts at www.bjog.org.